we are at the midterm point. I've not graded the papers yet, but I'm doing my recap of where we're at as far as Hume and sort of the class in general. Um, one thing I do want to point out, and it's you, you all did fine, but one of the things I want to point out, as I've noticed with eight-week classes, um, it can at this point we can kind of hit a wall. It's a bit fatiguing. It seems like to do all the work all the time, but please hold fast. You're you're doing fine. You're doing really well. Um, so don't let that slip. I really did appreciate your journals. Some of you were were uh, very very much on task and on track. Um, the thing that always stands out the most with Hume, and I think you've got a good sense of this, is, well, okay, so if it's not rational, what's going on and why is it going on? And, and a few of you, or maybe even more than a few of you, did a really good job of identifying that maybe there's some sort of cognitive bias at work, maybe there's some sort of decision-making problem at work. And I think that's really, um, critical to understanding Hume, at least on the upshot, like the, the positive stuff. Um, in some ways, Hume almost predates what we know about cognitive psychology by a century or so. Um, he just doesn't have the language for it. He just doesn't really know what he's doing with it. And that becomes part of the problem um, when we talk about things like, you know, can there be social, you know, civil disobedience, you know, change the social contract. I mean, Hume doesn't really think that we ever entered into one. He doesn't think that you and I ever signed an agreement, but to the extent that you and I pay our taxes, obey the law, there's maybe, maybe something like tacit consent. He doesn't even seem convinced of that, but everything seems to hold as long as that's working. Um, what is interesting and what is problematic though, um, between both some of the general responses and that general framework of social contract and, and making change to it is it's hard to tell what, when, where, how, why, etc. So it, it's one thing to acknowledge, yeah, I might have challenges in my critical thinking when it comes to, to ethical decision making and maybe these biases in play, but still we got to get around it, right? I mean, we don't want to just sort of forfeit the game and say, well, I can't make a good decision because my, my brain is busted. That doesn't seem to be right. And I certainly don't want to just say, well, you know, government is what it is and whether I agree to it or not, it's just what it is. There seems to be something that has to take place. And Hume's not very good about outlining that. Now, in his defense, why he's not good at outlining that is particularly because he's doing descriptive ethics. He's not going to tell you how. He's not going to tell you what you ought to do. He's just going to explain what and why and that sort of thing and you can kind of go well great he seems to be right i don't know what to do with it and that is his real downfall um i think it's fascinating though to put his view up next to and against uh, thomas aquinas and see man hume can explain a lot more of why i do what i do but i don't think he gives me a whole lot to go on as to what i should be doing differently or better then maybe I get that from Thomas Aquinas. And so the reason that at the midterm we kind of wrap up here and do a little evaluation of Greek philosophy and this other stuff is really to figure out what do we think our person is in, in some sort of moral framework and then what's our motivation? So human nature and human psychology or human you know, motivation, because we kind of have to get that 
off the table and out of the way before we do what's coming up for the last half of the course, um, which is really just three weeks if you think about it. But it's normative ethics. And now we are going to talk about what ought I, be, ought I be doing? What should I be doing in the future? Hume is weak there. Um, there are some natural law theories still floating around out in the world, and they're not all necessarily Catholic. It's a, it's a real thing. It's just not wildly as popular as, say, utilitarianism or Kantian deontological ethics or virtue theory of the kind or existential variety that we'll maybe see later. And those are the ones are going to be challenged uh, at the end of the course to pick and figure out, okay, so how would I apply this? Hume's not going to tell me. He's just going to say my brain hurts and it's broke. Um, so what am I going to do next? And that's kind of where we're at. So um, we start with utilitarians right now this week because it's going to be sort of the um, extension of Hume. What would have happened if we would have gone prescriptive with Hume? When we go to Kant, it's going to be, ooh, we don't like Hume anymore. Let's do something different. So we're going to get two different flavors here over the next two weeks. Hang tight. We're almost done. <laughs>